that involved climbing up the wind turbine and abseiling out the front end and inspecting the blade. I've done that loads of times. And I was told, I don't know, women don't do that. On today's show, we are celebrating Pride and we are joined by a special guest, Amanda Mackay. This is Tech Talks, your weekly tech-focused podcast powered by Nash Squared and hosted by myself, David Savage. Joining me on today's show, uh, as per usual, we have a quiche, but we also have the Tech Talks social guru, Sam Bailey. How are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you both? Yeah, good, good. Thank you. Keish, you sound wonderfully enthusiastic there. <laughs> I am, mate. I am. It's um, it's it's our, it's our first pod after the the old uh, platy tubes, as it was being called on social media. Uh, you know, I don't really understand what what, what people were saying, but yeah. Um, so, did yeah. Did you watch the concert on Saturday night? I didn't watch the concert, no. But I heard all about it. I was in a. In fact, I was actually quite on brand. Uh, Sam, you probably like that marketing. Uh, thing there but um i <laughs> took the elizabeth line over the weekend uh nice is it, is it good mate it's it's decent very, I knew very you were good. gonna say decent mate, it, is, it, it is decent mate i'll tell you what yeah it looks like some sort of like the like the stations are obviously part of old stations but it's like a newer mm. version and they all look like airports mate like and even in the lift when you like so if you're in a lift I, and the reason i was in a lift was because i had a big cricket bag on me but anyway like the lift goes alongside the escalator and the only other place i've seen that is in dubai um yeah it might it's, it's very good and, and it just gets you like a to b very very quickly uh trains are nice air conned yeah you know i'll be giving uh train reviews soon so that'll be my next thing but <laughs> you're gonna join france francois what's his face yeah yeah sam if you could get me one of those camera Good things mate, to put on my forehead. oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, so look, Akish, you're proud of the Elizabeth line. Here's a tenuous link. We're talking about Pride because it's Pride Month. Uh, one of the reasons that we got Sam on the show, look, we'll be totally open about this, Sam. Uh, not only are you the Tech Talk social guru, but you're also transgender. And we have an interview today with Amanda, who is transgender. But transgender from a fairly different generation. Is it fair to say that it's quite interesting to get the perspective of someone? Because let's face it, you're pretty fresh out of uni. <laughs> yeah, pretty recent. I would definitely say, yeah, I was I was listening to I was listening to Amanda and not only are there a lot of yes, similarities, but differences between just trans men and women anyway, much more than I think people yeah. would think. Uh, all trans people, funnily enough, are not the same. Um no. but no, believe it or not. Um I think there is definitely something to be said about uh younger and older trans people. I've only been medically transitioning for around two years socially for around three which is kind of I didn't get kind of a full year however many years Amanda's been transitioning but it's definitely longer than three um and I think there's definitely something to be said about different generations uh, and their attitudes towards the community and kind of experiences and stuff so yeah, well, look, we're going to come back with some chat after the interview. As per usual, we will play the interview first. It's a bit longer than normal, and obviously given its pride celebrations and the the sensitivity and, and wanting to give this the proper weight that it deserves, um, it's a bit it's a bit of a longer interview than normal. Um, but also hopefully really relevant for our audience. We know that technology is not as inclusive or diverse as it should be. So please have a listen, and we'll come back with some commentary straight afterwards. Today, I'm uh, delighted to be joined by Amanda Mackay, uh, 
Director of Quality at AWE. Hopefully I've got that right. I have a habit of screwing up job titles at the beginning of this podcast. Uh, but- no, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Amanda, I'm, I'm really pleased that you've taken the time to join us. Um, you're doing so uh, not just because of being a professional in our industry, but also because yeah. it's Pride Month um, and you are transsexual. And to many people, that still might be something that they're not, you know, they, they might not have come across many trans people knowingly or be confused about the T. And I suppose... There are a lot of acronyms now in LGBTQIA+. And I have heard people say... That's that very true, yes. Yeah. Uh, like LGBTQIA plus WTF, kind of like to kind of explain <laughs> what they all mean. So very quickly, yes. before anything, um, before anything else, do you just want to explain what the T is in LGBTQIA plus uh, and a little bit about yourself, uh, an introduction? Okay, so... Amanda Mackay, I'm, uh, I'm going to put this, so trans, trans is quite an interesting topic, and it covers a very broad church, um, it's something that in my early days, so, you know, I, I passed 59 last week, um, my, my birthday was last Thursday, so when I was born in the 60s, and growing up as a, you know, as a boy, one of the things that, whilst I always knew there was a difference, I could never put my finger on it. I never knew what it was. And in the days before the internet, you know, you had to go to the library and look things up, or you had to ask somebody, you had to work out what it was. And it wasn't until about, it would have been 1979, there was a documentary on uh, the BBC about uh, a woman called Julia. Julia was one of the first uh, members of the trans community to go through gender reassignment surgery in the United Kingdom and certainly a public piece there was a seven-part documentary over a period of three or four years about her and all of a sudden I understood what it was I understood what that meant and how that related back to me it was something that for me was a that, that epiphany moment where I could suddenly put a finger on and a name the, the condition that I had who, who I was, what I was, where I came from. So uh, transgenders generally um, apply to people who um, were born in one, uh, their biological sex doesn't match their uh, the gender that they feel. So I was born male and my gender expression, my understanding of who I am was female. So the two don't match. There's a there's a term used called gender dysphoria, which is that um, sort of uh, loathing of the uh, gender that you were born into. So wanting to change it, wanting to be something different. And back in the 80s, I, I was, had my first diagnosis of this uh, at Charing Cross, which was then the only gender clinic in the United Kingdom. Very, very scary diagnosis nothing like it is today um it was uh, almost a, a quite a, an aggressive um interrogation of who i was and why i thought i was different and trans comes in many different 
styles you know where like the the rest of the lgbtq acronyms um you know the, the vast majority of of people are either male to female uh transgender or, or female to male transgender so male to female is a trans woman uh female to male male is a trans man um we tend to sort of lump non-binary in with that as well uh people who have a um you know, a, a preference for neither. I'm probably misdescribing that because one of the things that you don't, that's very difficult for members of the trans community to do is actually describe ourselves because there are so many different variations that individuals take. Um, it, it, there's never one, there is a dictionary version, but there's not a, a sort of a, um, an individual version. We all have our own views to that. So I will be classed as a, a male to female uh, transgender, um, a trans woman. Um, it's, as time moves on, uh, certainly in, in my case, I, I went through the full, the pro, full process of, of gender reassignment, but not everybody does. And there's very different, many different strands of that. So there are people who, um, literally live in another gender so they have no surgery they have no hormones they have no treatment whatsoever and then there are others like myself who've been through a whole raft of different treatments hormone treatment and and surgery to change you know my physical uh to match my uh gender identity uh in terms of my you know how i feel that, that i am and there's you know it is there are many different variations of that. So in short, which wasn't very short, <laughs> that's trans. So I, I'm, this, this conversation is about you. Uh, and I've been doing this podcast yeah. now for mm. seven years, 480 odd episodes. Yeah. I try not wow. to put too much of myself yeah. into these episodes, but I'm going to yeah. kind of disclose yeah. here for the listeners, because I think it's important yeah. in this conversation that my dad is, is trans and um right my dad um uh, transitioned from male to female when i was through the ages of about 17 18 19 20 and i'm now 37 yep. so I, I think that's worth saying because any questions any comments i make um just to give some context i <laughs> this, yeah. this is me coming at it from <laughs> from an element of of some kind of uh, yes bias and, and whatever myself so yeah. so i i think yeah. that's worth just clearing up for everyone listening but again this is about you um yeah look it's great to have you on the show because we want to talk about that yeah. wider equality yeah. piece in work um yes and there's a number of topics that we'll we'll come to as as we go through this in, in, importantly the the skills gap that is very relevant to anybody yes in any position across yeah. the industry right now but from your perspective how has equality in the workplace evolved over the last decade or so oh uh, it's a really interesting one because i i've always worked in very male orientated roles and industries it was part of my defense mechanism, how I kept myself sane, actually, until I did finally come out to the world. And I've seen over the years, and certainly in the last 10 years, so if we if we go back to sort of 2011, uh, 2011, I was working in the nuclear industry, working for the UK government, 
um, in West Cumbria, uh, near to Salafield. Equality was something that really wasn't talked about, maybe about gender equality, but there wasn't a great deal of discussion around it. There were no, the organization I worked for was a government organization, which you know, believed itself to be fairly enlightened compared to many others. Um, we didn't have any, what we'll call affinity networks, you know, staff networks around uh, different protected characteristics. And there were very few women working in the technical roles in the organization I worked for, managerial, secretarial, some uh, particularly around our legal team, but very few in engineering, in the, you know, and as for LGBT or race equality or anything else, it was almost unheard of. Um, when I relate it to the construction industry where I've spent a lot of my working life, um, it was even worse. You know, it was a very much a, a white male, middle-class, working-class sector. Um, any form of difference was either excluded or frowned upon. Um, you would find very few people, and particularly when it came to technical roles on site. So in my early years working in construction, the closest you would get to anybody different on site, you might get a cleaner in the office. You might get um, a secretary on site, but that was about it. And in fact, the first time I ever encountered um, female engineer was uh, very early in my working career, working in the Channel Tunnel. Um, there was a lady who was uh, one of the section engineers in on the UK side of the Channel Tunnel, and her life was made a misery working on that project. In, in fact, she was the subject of a documentary and a recent um, catch-up, you know, sort of, you know, 40 odd years on, what, you know, what, what, how things changed. And, um, you know, she she worked really, really hard to, to keep her place in a, on the team but she she would constantly be passed over for promotion and things and you look at where we are now today um things have certainly come on leaps and bounds even in the last 10 years so you know changes in legislation particularly around things around the equality act and things and gender recognition certainly helped me as a trans woman i i could not have successfully i think changed uh, you know, come out to the world without things like legislation in place to protect me in terms of employment. Uh, if you look at, you know, my, my colleagues in work, uh, I work in a an organisation which is, is fairly diverse, although, you know, we, we would openly admit we still have it a long way to go. But we're, you know, fairly diverse in, in both in the outlook in terms of uh, the people who work here, but and also in in the attitude of the organisation as well, because it's not just about the employees and their own own perceptions of that. Because I've worked in a, I worked in the renewables industry when I transitioned, and my transition was really well received. You know, I was they'd never had anybody transition at work before. Um, they helped me all the way through that, and I thought, I, you know. A lot of my fears and a lot of the things that I worried about, you know, my career ending in, in, in a, a job that I really loved, um, never came to fruition. And about four months into my transition, so I was living, working as Amanda, um, head of quality in a, 
large, uh, one of the big six energy companies in their in major projects business. Um, and I went out onto site to do my job and took with me one of my trainees, a young lad who was a quality apprentice, and went to do what I would normally do when I went on site, which was one of, one of my tasks was blade inspections on wind turbines. That involved climbing up the wind turbine and abseiling out the front end and inspecting the blade, you know, abseiling down it, doing your inspection and everything else. I've done that loads of times. And I was told, I don't know, women don't do that. Now, there was an acceptance that I transitioned and my uh, acceptance of my new of my gender, but I was horrified that I was no longer allowed to do something that I'd been doing four months before as Martin. And I said, hang on, hang on. You know, you, you, we've been through this whole process. I've done thousands of blade inspections and it, you know, I can't send the apprentice up on his own to do it. And it was, they were ringing up the managing director and speaking to people and um, they didn't even want to let me climb up the, the turbine because it's a ladder climb of about 70, 80 meters. And I said, why? What's, what's changed? Well, we don't have any women doing that. And I, I, I was, you know, absolutely livid. So I had to cancel the job. And we went back to, to Glasgow to the office. And the next day I confronted the um, director for my business and said, why? Well, he just turned around to me. Um, typical, uh, I'll probably get shot for this, West of Scotland white male and said, women don't do jobs like that. And I said, but we do. And we should be doing it all the time. And we had quite a few female turbine engineers who this was also part of should be part of their job because all of the turbine engineers in the organization did wind turbine inspections and we're no longer allowed to do it. And I thought, you know, we've come such a long way in terms of LGBT inclusion. And then we get to a simple thing that you believe that a woman can't abseil out of a, a wind turbine and inspect a blade. Because um, listening to you talk, I, I know I don't want to get into the political backwards and forwards mm, of what various kind of celebrities have said and whatever else. And the, yeah, but um, mm. it strikes me that you are now the perfect ally for gender equality. Mm. Take the tea out. Of yes. It. Yeah, yeah. You have a wonderful perspective, and can Definitely. be an ally because you you can speak to both to both sides and go well this is this is ridiculous i, I can have the skills yeah mm. i mean it was an amazing um shock when i transitioned to lose male privilege you don't know you've got it till you've lost it mm. and you know my first meeting in the office i was you know, we've been through all the transit it, it was all out in the open and you know it was great it was sat in this meeting and this uh um the guy who was my boss said, um, and you'll take the notes, Amanda. And I looked at him and I said, what do you mean I'll take the notes? He said, well, you know, you can take the notes. I said, okay, right, so I'll take the notes this time. Next time comes along, he asked the same thing again. A week later, I said, hang on, no, we'll share this around the room. I was also asked to go and make the tea. And I'm thinking, hang on, it, it, Asking my female colleagues in the office, I found that this was a similar experience to them. And 
it was like, well, you know, you've transitioned now, so therefore you can make the tea, you can take the minutes, you can do the bits, you know, do these jobs. And I, I wasn't having that. So um, within a couple of weeks, we'd formed a, a gender equality group within the organization. And um, we decided that we'd do our fair share, but not, you know, we, we wouldn't take any more of this. You know, you're doing it because you're female or because, you know, because you're a woman. It, that wasn't right. And it, it was something that uh, spoke to me that, and it, I've heard similar actually from some members of the trans community, which was really interesting. Now, people of my age who've transitioned late in life, who lose that male privilege, it hits them rather hard. Now, it, it didn't really bother me as much as some of my colleagues in the community who have. But I had one say to me, well, now you've transitioned, why do you still like engineering? Why do you still repair cars and make, you know, technical Lego models and things like that? And I said, because transition doesn't mean that you change your whole persona. It just means you, I present differently. I can be myself. Do you think that's, I mean, coming back to your point about interrogation of who you, who you are, it's getting across yeah. the point to people that you you haven't you you fundamentally have not changed. No, no, no. I I am still the same person. I just present differently. I just mm. feel more comfortable. My gender. I, I present authentically. I, I don't have to hide that. You know, I hid that for forty odd years. Don't have to hide it anymore. To your point about being uh, someone who worked in very male environments, and perhaps that was a, a mm. defence mechanism. It. It recalls conversations that I've had way back when with my dad mm. uh, about having a an ill judged beard. At one point, mm. that was hated and loathed, but at the same time, mm. a disguise to all intents and purposes. Yes, yeah. Is that something that? I mean, how how do you talk to? People? I, I mean, I suppose how do you how do you kind of talk to people who are perhaps not out publicly but maybe you might know of or how, how or if you're talking to mm. someone who is listening let's say who is thinking about coming yeah. out but they're not quite there yet let's frame it like that yeah. how, how do yeah. you kind of talk to them to kind of help them through that period where obviously it is such a, a struggle and they are trying to mm. hide i i had a, a really good friend uh well still do uh, up in glasgow um i hid it for many many years um so I originally thought about coming out in my early 20s, straight from university. Um, at that time, my my best friend was somebody who had grown up with, who I knew to be trans. That was one of the reasons that we got on so well. We, we understood each other. Um, they worked in government. They were really lucky. They went straight from university in 1984 into a civil service role and started their transition. And they, they had a very successful transition and she just did it. Her parents were really supportive. They they helped her through it. I didn't feel in the industry that I worked in because I, I left university working in the coal mining industry. You know, Women weren't even allowed down a pit, let alone somebody who transitioned. And didn't feel I could do that. So I used the way that I dealt with my gender issues was to do very male things. So I spent time with, you know, I was 
um, part-time soldier uh, for a long time, right up into the mid-90s. I did very male-orientated jobs in mining and uh, heavy industry construction, that sort of thing. That was my way of dealing with it. Now, when I got to the, you know, 2011 and living up in Glasgow, all of this stuff started to come back because I didn't have all of my support mechanism around me. I wasn't doing my usual volunteering. I was, you know, wintertime in Glasgow in a flat on my own and no way of putting this, putting Amanda back in the box. It just it wasn't going to happen. And I went to a support group in Glasgow and they really helped me. And the person who is my best friend today um, was trans. They understood all of my concerns. I think that was the thing that really got to me was that they really understood the position I was in. And I was frightened. I was frightened that if I came out, I'd lose my job, uh, lose family, friends. Um, you know, I'd seen other people in that position and seen what they'd lost. And, and I really didn't want to go through that. And, you know, it must be awful. I, there's a very high suicide rate within the trans community. And it's, it's because of these fears, these anxieties. There's a lot of mental health problems in the community. And when I realized that I could actually, the world really didn't care whether I transitioned or not. You know, it was a, it was a personal thing. There are some people who do, you always get that. You will always get hate of any other difference in society. Um, but it was about getting the courage to do that, to be myself and understand that it made such a difference to my quality of life and what I was doing and how I could, I could be myself. Um, and the rest of the world really didn't care. Mm. And it was one of the things that when I, I, I went, you know, swap sides from being, the service user of this service to being one of the volunteers and helping others with it. And what I used to say to people was that it's about being able to be yourself and that, that lifts such a weight off you. There will always be many, many uh, you know, hurdles to jump over. There'll always be lots of things that, you know, the world won't love you from day one and really just expects you to get on with things yourself. But being able to lift that load from your shoulders was so fulfilling. Um, and it, it just helped me to be to move on in life. Because I think that was one of the things, it was a constant blocker. When I reached a point in a job where it wasn't giving me the same buzz and keeping me occupied, I moved. Mm. And I moved because I was frightened that I would then get back into that anxiety and depression of, and the dysphoria that came out. And I could see through my career that when, when a job didn't deliver that, you know, 80 hours a week of constant uh, work, I would move. And looking back with hindsight, I can see where the restlessness came from and the, you know, cycles of depression and anxiety that came with that. And once I transitioned, I won't say that all went away, but it did 
my mental health changed, my physical health changed. I was able to be myself and just get on with life. Um, if you ever met Martin, Martin wouldn't have done a podcast. I had some quite senior jobs and I did some really, you know, quite senior things, but it was very work orientated. You know, I had a senior police role as a volunteer, senior officer in the territorial army, but I would never speak to a crowd. I couldn't do it. Yeah. It's interesting. And yeah, now it just releases an inner confidence and an ability to do things that I didn't have before. We are beginning to run short on time, but there is something that I want to ask you that I think applies to, to yeah. everybody listening, which is, you know, as we mentioned, there is a skills gap. And certainly within yeah. technology, there is a need to attract everyone that you can. Um, it is not as diverse and inclusive an industry as it should be. And the same applies to many of the industries that you're talking about there. Lots of organizations have DE and I councils, leads. Um, yeah. But what do you think it really means to celebrate difference? What can an organization do to truly attract a diverse uh, pool of professionals and talent? It's about creating a level playing field for everybody to succeed and to be themselves and to have a fulfilling and rewarding career in an organization. And that means everybody. Um, so regardless of race, color, gender, sexuality, um, and organizations that do thrive, you know, they're more profitable. I mean, it's proven it's they're more profitable. Uh, employees will stay much longer. They will actually attract the talent because of, their, their ability to um, be able to you know, thrive in an organization. That's what most people want, and particularly younger people. You know, they look, they, they don't just judge an employer by how much they'll earn or the type of work they'll do. They judge them by their DNI characteristics as well. Um, you know, you just have to look at the, the world of work at the moment. There are more vacancies than there are candidates looking for work. And particularly in the technical areas and, and you know, sort of uh, skilled areas, the people will will be choosy. They don't just move for money. In fact, very few, particularly younger people, don't move for money. They move for career opportunity and for an organisation that has their interests at heart. So, you know, the business case for DNI has been there for many years. Um, without it, you'll not have the right people working for a company. Just as, a, as an additional last question, then, whilst we've got a few mm. minutes left, some statistics yep. suggest that Gen Z are so much more comfortable with sexuality and inclusion. I think the stats are something like 30 odd percent identify as being part of the LGBTQIA plus community, as opposed, I think, yes. to millennials <coughs> and upwards. I think it's in the in the teens, the mid teens. It is. Yes. Yeah. What What do you think's happened? That can't just be a sudden generational switch. What, why do you think it is? I mean, it's positive, but what do you think? What do you think's changed? I I think a lot of younger people have less inhibitions. They they've grown up with a culture where uh, they've got access to so much more information and the ability to explore and understand themselves better than my generation. You know, yeah. I, I grew up. I went to an all boys public school. Um, I. I had a very, very staid upbringing. You know, what you saw on television was very limited. What you read in books was 
very you know but again very limited um i, I look at my niece uh, who is a, a gen z she has access to so much information she when i came out my parents and my brother were worried that you know it would be difficult for her she just accepted me straight away she just said oh you're amanda now that's it yeah. and it was a no argument, you know, very accepting, very understanding. And she actually was able to talk to her parents and tell, you know, to my brother and my sister-in-law, she knew more about trans than they ever did. And she was able to, at the age of nine, to explain this to them, which is, wow, you know, a nine-year-old being able to explain in a rational way with facts and information. And because she had access to that information, she had trans friends at her, at her school at her junior school They're, to them it's just the norm it's a much more positive position to be in yeah um it is yes look i really appreciate your time today amanda i think it's uh it's very worthwhile time on our part and great to be able to share your story yeah. so I'm, I'm pleased you do have the confidence to do something like this now no problem and, uh, um yeah i hope that you enjoy any other pride festivities that you are getting involved with in june bring your pride bring your rainbow jcb to glasgow <laughs> <laughs> right um i'm not gonna kind of steer this too much i suppose it would just be interesting to know what stood out to the two of you listening to it um i think the thing that stood out to me was the the kind of job that amanda does um the industry that she's in to be honest um mm -hmm. just off off the the recording we were just talking about you know I, I know people that have worked in awe and you know before that she talked about working for the government and those sorts of things and then it was her story right like and actually embracing and being proud of it so i think that's the kind of main things that stood out for me really and just being able to step out from you know, I'm sure she she's gone through other traumatic experiences or, or stuff and people have said things or done. Do you know what I mean? But just the fact that she's embracing it and kind of gone, well, this is who I am. And, um, you know, kind of what I'm wanting to express myself as. And, hmm. um, yeah, I, that really stood out for me, actually. I mean, Sam, it'd be interesting to get your perspective because what I did find interesting was it was Akisha is, is right. We We... Undoubtedly, she will have gone through some difficult challenges, but she did stress that the overwhelming majority of people have been very warm and positive in their reaction, but not necessarily like socially, yes, but perhaps professionally a slight difference in attitude towards yeah. her that, that, that betrays something else. Yeah, I was really quite surprised about... Um, well, I wasn't surprised about the part when she said... Um, unfortunately, when she said that kind of post-transitioning, early on in her transition, people started saying she could and couldn't do parts of her job that she previously had just been doing as, as her everyday tasks. Um, mm. If you kind of take, like you said in the interview with Amanda, like if you take the tea away, uh, she is just a woman now in, in a world where she had previously been socialised and experienced as a male. Um, and the reality for just women, trans or not, is that they are treated quite differently and, and re regularly negatively. Um, and that kind of leads into, into privilege. And it's obviously been really difficult for her and many other trans women to kind of overnight just be treated differently in completely different sects of society. 
um, and and socially. I was I was quite pleased that she did say socially um, or just kind of you know chatting with her workmates that that they were okay with it. But then unfortunately, those realities for women in the workplace still exist, um, trans or not. So I wasn't entirely surprised, but I was happy that she did say socially that they they had taken those leaps quite early on. So over text earlier, you pulled me up. I think I think it's my use of language. I said, correct me if I'm wrong, but I said transsexual and transgender um kind of interchangeably. Mm-hmm. And this is this is a worthwhile point. I'm reasonably clued up on this stuff because of my dad, although not probably as educated as I should be. But I'd I'd warrant that I am better educated than the majority of people out there yep. around transgender experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I still definitely make mistakes. Why did that? Why was that something that stood stood out to you? Yeah, I think that leads itself on to what you mentioned about kind of generations and different ages of people. I think transsexual came around in kind of pre-2000, I would say, um, maybe even potentially slightly after, but definitely pre-2000, kind of 70s, 80s, 90s, and that kind of realm of when people actually started discussing LGBT plus issues. Um, and I think it became it came around because there was still a real like synonymization between gender and sex. People assumed that there are only two genders because there are, there are only you know quote unquote two sexes. You know we we that's another thing to go into. But um, it was very synonymized. So transgender people were assumed to be transsexual because they were like, okay, well if you were born as male and you now want to be female, you have to be quote unquote, fully female. And that has to be via sex as well. We now know that's not the case. Um, I will forever, my sex will be forever be female. It doesn't matter how much surgery, how much, how many hormones I take, I will always be, my sex will always be female. And that's why transgender is now kind of the appropriate term to use. You know, some people still use transsexual, but we now know that they're different. Sex and gender are completely different things. Um, and that's that's where a lot of prejudice comes in, I think, with older generations, mm-hmm. um, people that don't quite understand it properly because, you know, the argument is always, oh, but you'll never be, you'll never be male. And I'm like, no, I know that. That's fine. I've come to terms with that. Um, that doesn't bother me. Um, I identify as a trans man and that and that's fine. So I think I think that's where it's come from. Um People might correct me, but I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah, the kind of quote unquote appropriate term to use nowadays is transgender just because of, I think just because we know a bit more, really. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's tricky because, because I, I think um, as someone who's cisgender, but would like to be as good an ally as I can, um, you don't want to offend people. And sometimes mm-hmm. You get it. You get it wrong, and yeah. I think organisations are culpable of that as well as individuals. I mean, Akish, you chair our diversity and inclusion um, council panel at work. Council. Yeah. council. I was saying panel. I was like, what's the right word? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's tricky, isn't it? It's tricky to get this right. It it, it is tricky. Um, I'm not going to lie. Organisations. Um, 
to be to be honest, organisations should embrace um, if they have members of the kind of LGBT community and and kind of look to give a voice. And the thing the thing is, people like Amanda who are happy to kind of share their experiences, talk about kind of you know kind of what they're going through or what you know their experiences have been. That helps organisations hell of a lot. Um, my experiences can't I I can't you know kind of put myself in the shoes of Sam, for example, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a straight guy, male. Um, but what I do want to do is I want to help people and, and kind of make sure that we have a platform and an organization that is inclusive, that allows Sam to be who he wants to be, that allows, you know, other people after Sam, for example, I'm just using Sam as an example because he's here, but, you know, um, to, to kind of come in and embrace it. And also, I think where organizations get it wrong is they'll find one person and they'll just kind of wheel them out. Right. Yeah. So whether that's an LGBT kind of, um, you know, kind of event or, or agenda, whether it's a, a race thing, you know, organizations or kind of just take pictures of, you know, some ethnic minorities some brown people, some black people, you know, put them on a poster. Go, hey, look, look at us. Um, whether it's women, you know, they, they'll kind of hand out pink or kind of purple ribbons on International Women's Day. So I think it's across uh, the, the kind of diversity and inclusion kind of groups. I think the problem organizations have is they need to get away from just being a bit of a staple. You know, we'll, we'll throw we'll throw a poster out, we'll make an Instagram post, we'll do something LinkedIn. And actually now it's about, are we actually doing you know what 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 we want right and and being an inclusive organization um harvey nash have got it wrong in the past nash squared have got it wrong in the past i mean mm -hmm. you know I, i'll openly admit and, and this is common knowledge we stayed very neutral when the george floyd murder happened um you know two years ago now uh at the time it was a bit like well we're probably doing the right thing because we don't want to offend anyone but what did you actually do you actually ended up offending a load of people and you know kind of showed that in a in a kind of world where people were, were saying this is wrong this is not right and and we need to kind of you know address this you kind of just didn't address anything which mm -hmm. then led to you know being wrong so um we are now as a, as a as a group and as a global council so you know kind of harvey nash crimson spinks um you know and and kind of all our partnering brands under that as well uh we are you know, in a place where we are wanting to make this a, a much better and inclusive environment. And that is yeah. why, um, you know, we're partnering up with the likes of kind of Workplace Pride, for example, who are going to be an integral part of um, the Pride Month um, kind of celebration and, and actually identifying, celebrating and, you know, kind of highlighting where we stand for the LGBT community and also where our employees um are made to feel at home. I hope they do anyway. Um, Sam might say something different, but yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Look, no, I'm joking. <laughs> on that point, though, like, let's let's finish it with your perspective, right? Because Amanda is a slightly older generation who transitioned some time ago, and I asked her um, how a company goes about making members of of the LGBTQIA plus community feel welcome. As a Gen Zer. <laughs> What do you think it is? You know, when you talk to your friends, when you talk to, because I know that you play football in a in a queer team. Right? Yeah, an inclusive league. Yeah, so there, there's there we go. There's different ones about for different sports, and yeah, I think kind of being quite it's difficult because I'm 
very open about my my identity but I'm also very cis passing and it's very kind of it's a, it's not I'm not going to say it's a difficult place to be because it's a privilege at the end of the day but um it does kind of give you a different perspective to people that have different challenges um and I think a big one is as Akisha's saying kind of not delving into that tokenism that that everyone everyone does um in pride month because kind of David, we had a conversation about it this morning. It's it's either yep. it's really difficult. It is really difficult, and and that's coming from a queer person. It is really difficult because if you don't, you're doing it wrong. But if you do, you're doing something else wrong. So how do you really know what's the right way to do it? And I think I think with organisations, especially kind of big organisations and organisations like Nash Squared, who you know we are so many companies. Um, I think it's making yourselves as visible as possible all of the time um and not kind of saving up all of your you know queer guests or all of your people of color that you speak to for specific months and not kind of just kind of wheeling them out uh, for 30 days and then wheeling them back in I think it's kind of it's actually kind of a bit weird to say but actually kind of reining it in and spreading it out um, and kind of not going too heavy on it and just kind of making yourself, making it very obvious that you you don't think differently about different groups of people, positive or negative. You're just very equal across the board. Um, I actually think that's the best way about it because when I speak to kind of other queer people, when I speak to my friends that know a lot about this stuff, we all have a very similar um attitude towards it which is we're all quite tired of all of the chat all the time (laughs) um there's really at the end of the day like we are just people and I think there's a lot to be said about about not doing too much um so I think that's actually what I would say um probably not what some people would want to hear because you know everyone's different um all queer people are not the same and all queer experiences is definitely definitely not the same um yeah. And some people really love Pride Month. Some people really love to, you know, wave the flag all about and do absolutely everything and get involved in everything. But the vast majority of people I do speak to, we are pretty happy for you to kind of just make it quite obvious that you are you are supportive, but not, you know, go waving it about and and kind of bring out every single queer person you know in the space of 30 days and really put it plaster it all over social media and then come July 1st. Yeah. Don't say anything about it for another 12 months, you know? So. No, I think this has been a really useful chat. And on that point, there is stuff going on that's not to do with pride right now. We've just launched the Nash squared games, uh, which is not just for our own internal staff, although our staff from all of our different countries, um, I think it's nine, no, six countries, 19 locations, uh, are competing to see who is the best team in terms of covering kilometres, walking, running, cycling, swimming. And that is also open to friends of Nash Squared, family, contractors, clients. So we will put a link for you to join and get involved if you would like to, and you can join one of the teams and uh, and try and help them get over the line. Next cheat sheet uh, to anyone is to join David's team with all of his running. Um, you'll probably win. There are many people who do many, much, much more. <laughs> I, w- I would like to say that I'm terribly disappointed in Melanie Hayes because she's part of Team USA. 
Oh, come on. She's, she's, she's got a global job, hasn't she? So she has to... Uh, she oh, has bullshit. To... That's she, such she, bullshit. She to, she, she, no, I'm just, don't oh, give her a fucking excuse. No, 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 she's English. You know, do, do you know, do you know what? We'll, we'll... Stop being a politician. I'm, I'm not. I'm, well, to, to be fair, there is a vote of no confidence. I might chuck my name in the hat to be uh, the next PM. You know, uh, but anyway, no. Um, yeah, I don't know, mate. She's uh, she probably felt sorry for him. Because um, <laughs> uh, I don't think anyone's ever felt well, sorry just... for them from a sporting front, have they? Well, they, they, they drive everywhere, don't they? They, they? they all drive everywhere and all yeah, that sort of stuff. That's true. Right? So, uh, oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Know, well, us, to be fair, us Europeans are a bit more. She was leveling the playing field. That's what she really was doing. So. So yeah. I, I noticed something this morning, Sam. This this will appeal to you, right? Please if do. you go to the gym and you do a you do a you do a weights workout, yeah, you still get points. It doesn't oh, advertise this. It says phenomenal. it says walking, running, swimming, cycling. I did a, a twenty minute weight session. I never do long weight sessions at home. I work at home, so I did a 20, 21 minute weight session and I got some points for it. I think it's you must get so many points per ten minutes of weight weight activities. So all those people who go down the gym and lift heavy things, you can still compete. Brilliant. Mm. An hour a day. Very good. That's what I do. What's what's that? Certain Six points. Like- that's as much as someone going for. That's more than someone going for a five k run. And also, oh. someone beat someone beat uh, Dave because he loves to talk about his running. <laughs> I Mate, I, did, I wasn't. I wasn't. Yeah. I didn't win it last year. I didn't win it. <laughs> I mean, I'd rather, uh, no, no, no. I'd rather <laughs> do an ab workout than, than, and that's saying something. I'd rather do an, a 30 minute ab workout than a 30 minute run. So, sorted. That's me sorted for the month or however it is, long it is. I'm not going to ask a quiche. <laughs> Mate, to be fair, I'll, 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 no, no, no. No, I um, I uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be wearing my um Apple Watch when I'm playing cricket. I, 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 I reckon you do some serious steps. To be fair, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, you know, I was I was thinking you do some serious steps whilst doing that, and then also you know, walk, walk around the city. You know me, pan the pavements, driving business. You that's know. what I was gonna say. Everyone go. going into the office, that's like some easy steps right there. That's like, and also yeah. look today, Amber's in the office and she didn't realise it was a tube strike and she she walked all the way from Houston to um to our office. So there we go, captains yeah. of industry, right there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> right, thank you very much for your time. Uh, we'll be back next week. See you.